So Galatians 6 and verses 1 through 5. So just a reminder that uh, we got about three more weeks in this room and then we're going to move to the sanctuary. So, um, do what? Can't we vote on that? No. No, Pastor Henry might outvote. He gets like a, he has like a weighted vote. So anyway, uh, I think we're going to do that the first Sunday in January, although I'm not sure. So just, I I don't know. I'm not sure what they're going to end up, what they're going to end up doing in here. So. All right, uh, now, before we get to Galatians 6, 1 through 5, I want, to go back, I want to go back and read the last verses of chapter 5, and I'm going to do that for a reason. Uh, let's go back, and I'm going to read verses 19 through 26. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, uh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then he says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And now Paul is talking here to Christians, right? He says this, If we live by the Spirit then if this is how we were born again, if this is how we were made alive, if we receive the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. And then he says this in verse 26, let us not become... Now, who is the us? Christians. He says, let us. Paul says, I'm included in this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, here's my question. Who is Paul warning... Not to become conceited. Christians. Christians. Absolutely. He's, he's warning Christians. He's saying, these are the works of the flesh. These are the works of the Spirit. It, it, you know, if you're a Christian, you've crucified those works of the flesh. You're producing the works of the Spirit. Don't get conceited. Now, why is that warning necessary? Why would he have to say that? Because we're human. <laughs> and what does that mean that we're human? We're, we're absolutely prone to, to do that. You see, he's talking to Christians. By the way, people who are truly filled with the Spirit, people who are truly walking in the Spirit. Uh, but just as Ron said, we're human, still human beings. We have cruci- we've crucified the flesh, but is it completely dead? No, it's dying. It has no power over us, but yet it's still there kind of drawing us if we're not careful. We are absolutely prone to pride. We're prone to be conceitful. In fact, what will happen with Christians is we'll say, we'll become proud that we're not doing those things and we're doing these things. We'll say things like, well, I'm kinder than he is. Right? I'm I'm more generous than they are. I've got more self-control than she she does. I mean, come on. That's, That's exactly what... I mean, if the enemy... Once you're born again and the enemy can't get to you, he's going to do everything he can to, to deter your Christianity, right? He's going to, he, want, he, wants to, he knows he can't get you to hell. You're going to heaven. He knows that. But the fact is, he's going to try to diminish your Christianity. He's going to try to diminish your ministry, diminish your, your witness. And one of those ways he can do is, is to make you prideful. So it's sad, but it's true. And when we become conceited, and we start to say things like this, don't we provoke one another? 
Well, did you hear what they said? They said they were more generous than I am. I mean, it just, it all goes downhill from, from that. So Paul has to give us a warning. So it's, that's why it's so important for us to remember that it's the fruit of the what? Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is producing it, not us. It's got nothing to do with We have no room to boast. Whatever is good in us is being produced by the Spirit. Remember what Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, what? I am what I am. If I'm here today and I've got any self-control, I've got any joy, I've got any, I'm, I'm more patient than I used to be, I'm kinder than I used to be, I'm gentler. If any of that is true, Paul says, it's by what? The grace of God. He made me that way and not, not me myself. Now, I bring that up because Paul is going to continue that theme in today's passage. So let's read Galatians 6, 1 through 5. He goes on, he's just warned us not in the last verse of chapter 5, don't be conceited. And then he turns around and says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, and a trespass is a what? Sin. A sin. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So, starting in verse 1, what's happening is, according to verse 1, somebody has been overtaken in sin, right? Um, in other words, someone's sin has come to light. Some, some man was caught spending the weekend with a, a woman who wasn't his wife, uh, Maybe uh, a man and a woman have been stealing funds from uh, their business. Maybe they've been evading taxes. Maybe the source of rumor or gossip has been found out. In other words, there's some kind of sin in the church. And by the way, um, he's, talking about, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about uh, someone in the church. Um, and so the sin has come out and people know about it. Now... So Paul says, this man has been caught in sin, right? And he says, you who are spiritual, restore that person. Now, he then goes on to spend five verses warning somebody. And here's the thing. Who is he warning in those verses? Is he warning the person who sinned or the person who has not sinned? Not sinned. I mean, that, that, that is just amazing to me that he says, this guy's been caught in sin and then he spends five verses warning us. The ones that are going to restore him, he spends time warning us. Not the person who got caught in sin. He spends time warning us. Now what, what lesson should we take from that? The very fact that he's warning us. Not that guy, but us. It happened to us. Well, he's warning it could happen to us. Absolutely. What, what else? What other lessons could we take from that? Why would he, why would he do that? Okay, keep us from doing it. But he, the potential is great that, you know, you're going to get puffed up. If you're looking down your nose, so to speak, at somebody else. That's and, right. You know, then you're making, you're coming across as, well, I'm more spiritual. And we're blind to the uh, possibilities. A absolutely, Paul. that's right. So it kind of goes back to what Paul says. Paul says there's... This guy's sin, you're going to restore. When he looks at that situation and sees danger, he sees danger in the one that's doing the restoring. 
I mean, that's just amazing to me. He says, oh, okay, here's the danger. Watch out for this. Um, we're in our fifth month of studying Galatians, and um, it, it seems that every week I come in here and I do a lesson, and it seems like every week I'm either talking or warning about issues like self-reliance and self-satisfaction and self-exaltation. In fact, there's times I've, I've prepared lessons, and literally I thought, well, this is the same lesson I taught last week. I mean, it just seems the same thing. It's grace, not works. It's him, not us. You know, it's reliance on him, not reliance on self. It just seems like it's the same lesson over and over and over and over again. And, and after a while, I keep thinking, well, you know, we get it. You know, Do we need another lesson on that? But a text like today's is a strong confirmation that you're not overdoing it. Um, and, and that is because pride or self-exaltation or self-reliance or self-assertion is the one virus that is at the root of, of all sin. It all comes down to pride. It was the case in the Garden of Eden. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, God says you can have all of this stuff, you can do all of these things, there's one thing you can't do. And immediately they fixated on that one thing. And the point was they wanted to be in control. Did they not? So the, the, the Satan, the serpent tempted them and says, you can be like God. You can know good from evil. You can, you can be in control. That was the temptation to assert oneself over God, to have control. Uh, instead of having him control of your life, you having control over him. That was true in the garden. It'll be true on this earth uh, until the battle of Armageddon. Um, and so, in truth, when you really break things down, there's really only one basic moral issue, and that is how to overcome the relentless urge of the human heart to assert itself against the authority and grace of God. That's what it all comes down to. Every sin emanates from that. Every immorality um, emanates from that. And here's Paul writing to spiritual people, writing to Christians, and he's telling us to bear the burdens of others, and then he spends the rest of the paragraph warning us against the danger of pride. See, he knows that, that's how big of an issue this is. Because what happens is here we are, and all of a sudden we help someone, and Paul says, now be careful, because if you let pride take over, that leads to sin, right? It's just this vicious circle. Watch out for pride, watch out for pride, watch out for pride. Let me tell you, the guy who's caught in sin, does he probably have to worry about pride? No, probably not. He knows he's caught. You know, there's shame. There's other things he has to worry about. Shame, guilt, a lot of those things. But pride, that's how big of a deal Paul thinks pride is. He just keeps coming back to it. Watch out for pride. Watch out for, for pride. So the main point of today's passage is given in two verses, verses 1 and 2. It's given in a general way in verse 2 and then in a specific way in verse 1. So let's look at the general way, which is in verse 2. Paul says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, what he's saying here, if a Christian brother or a Christian sister is weighed down or menaced by some burden or some threat, be alert to that and quickly do something to help. Don't, don't let them be destroyed. Don't let them drift and drift and drift until they're gone. When you see something, do something about it. Okay, that's what he's telling us. When you see them threatened or menaced by some burden, you need to step in and you need to do something about it. Now, this is the exact opposite of the scribes and Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 23 about 
the scribes and Pharisees, he said, They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move their own finger. In other words, it's the exact opposite. They were putting burdens on people. We should be lifting burdens off of people. Okay, That's what Christians do. They, they, they relieve burdens. They don't, they don't um, uh, put more on people. Now, I was thinking about that this week. You know, sometimes um, when you think about what you're supposed to do in the church, I, I've had people ask me, well, you know, I don't know what my gift is. I, don't, I can't teach. I can't. Most people think of two things, teach, preach, or three things, teach, preach, or sing. And if you can't do any of those things, I don't know what I'm supposed to do when it comes to the church. And one of the things that everybody can do is that is exactly this. You can bear somebody else's burdens. Everybody can do this, from a, from a teenager to an older person, um, that it is one thing that everybody can do. And by the way, it is the one thing that will bring you more satisfaction than anything else you can do. It'll bring you more satisfaction than singing or teaching or preaching or any of those things. And that is to get in there and get your hands dirty um, with someone's life. But you really have to develop that skill. I was thinking the other day, as a man, I, we were at Sam's or somewhere, and I got out of the car and I, and I walked by and I saw an old lady and she was lifting up her, uh, she had an SUV and she was lifting up her tailgate and she had a bunch of groceries. And something in me said immediately, well, you need to help her, right? You just saw it and you said, I said, well, ma'am, can I help you with that? Why aren't we that way as Christians? Why aren't we constantly <clears throat> looking for that? Does that make sense? You know, as a man, you just look for those things. It, it, it's, like, it's not like I got out of the car saying, okay, who can I help? But it's just ingrained in you that if you see something, you, you step out and do it. We should be that way as Christians. We should start developing that skill. I, don't, don't leave here and say we've got to go hunting for sin. right? I don't want you to go over there and start, okay, man, I'm, I know she's doing something. I just got to figure out what it is so I can get in there and, and tell her about it. No, but we should have our radar up that when we see somebody under a burden that we're quick to jump in and help, help bear that burden. Now, somebody tell me, what are some ways we can do that? What are some ways that we can bear other people's burdens? And by, by the way, Paul doesn't give us any specifics here, or, or very little. He will give us one, but he's, he's just saying general, bear one another's burdens. Give, us, give me some way we can bear other people's burdens. Share your garden with the hungry people next door. Okay, feed them. Just befriend them. Okay, just befriend them. Okay, listen, pray for them. Listen, yeah. Listen. listen. What else? Try understanding them. Visit. Okay, go visit them. Spend some time with okay, people. all right. Them, so, text them. Okay, so there, there's some ways there. Compliment them. No, notice that when Paul says you do, and those are all ways, right? Whether you, you give of your own goods, whether you pray for them, whether you encourage them, whether you uh, uh, go visit them, whatever you do, um, when you do this, watch what Paul says you're doing. When you bear one another's burdens in any of those general ways, Paul says you're fulfilling the law of Christ. You are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, this is an odd phrase, right? In a book, remember a couple of scriptures we've read already. Galatians 5.18 says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're what? You're not under the law. Uh, Galatians 3.13, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. But now Paul says... Bear one another's burdens and you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So which is it? Are we under the law or are we not under the law? 
not under the law of grace, but the number one law of Christ is to love God and love people. Yes. And love, as we talked about, is an action word. Bearing people's burdens is action. Okay. So you're fulfilling that law. Yeah, we obviously can we can we do we have to determine first whether or not the law uh, of of Christ is the same as the law of humans on earth. Well, so Jesus said this. When we, well, first of all, when you say the law we're talking about here is this law right here. It's not spit on the sidewalk. It's not 55 miles an hour. I mean, those, those laws... That's man. That's man. We're talking about the law of God. We're talking about moral and ethical laws that are given to us. Those are two different things, right? That's what we have here. That's right. So what he's saying is, do we have to fulfill the laws written in this book? Well, the good thing is, yes and no, right? The good thing is, Jesus said, um, the two greatest laws are what? Love God and love your neighbor. Everything else is wrapped up in that. Paul goes on to say, and we read this a couple weeks ago in Galatians, all the law is fulfilled in one phrase. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what we said. First and foremost, the law is all about love, right? The law is all about love. You can, on, on one case, you can circumcise. On another case, you cannot circumcise, and you can be exactly right because your motive was love. <coughs> oh, that wasn't good. I was pressing. I'll go back. Uh, remember what? Remember what we talked about? Um, we talked about flattery. Um. One is in, within the spirit and the other one is... That's right. Remember, I can flatter somebody and if I'm doing it to gain because I want something from them, it's a sin, right? Yeah. I, I, can, I can encourage somebody and I'm doing it for them. It's fine. I can okay. say the words out of my mouth can be exactly the same. I can say you are a great woman of God and I can be sinning because I'm doing it to get something. I, I want to flatter them so they'll think better of me. It's all about me. I, or I can say, you're a great woman of God because I'm wanting to encourage them. It's all about them. It's just, it, the words are exactly the same. One's a sin, one's a not. What's different? It's love. So whether you're fulfilling the law or not, it's not about did you dot every I and cross every T. It's about your motive and intent. It's about love. That's what Paul keeps coming to over and over again. So the, do we have to fulfill the law of Christ? Absolutely. But the law of Christ is love. So if we're doing it out of love, we're fulfilling the, the, the law of Christ. I, I said it before. If you walk out of here and say, I gotta bear somebody's burden, and you go and, and you you can make that into just another work. Everybody with me? I can walk out of here today and go over there and give somebody 20 bucks. And I'm doing it for one of two reasons. I'm saying, I'm giving it to them, saying, God, look at me. Look how good I am. I'm, I'm doing what you want me to do. It's just a work. It means absolutely nothing. Or if I'm doing it out of love, I'm doing it to bear their burden. Everybody with me? It's the same act, but it's completely different. Um, the fact is Moses gave us a law, but he can never change our hearts so that we would freely obey. Okay, he he, he, That law couldn't conquer our pride and rebellion. But when Christ summons us to obey his law, he helps us slay that dragon of the flesh. He changes our hearts. He empowers us by His Spirit and He fulfills His law. In other words, He produces in us the love that the law requires. Okay, That's why, by the way, Jesus can say this. 
Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. By the way, the law of Christ is not easy because it's permissive. Right? The law of Christ is easy because he produces in us the very thing the law requires. I don't have to say, man, i got to work up this love. i got to do it. No, he produces the love so that the actions flow out of that. Okay, That's why it's, it's easy and light. So, in other words, Christ never commands us to do anything that he wants us to do on our own. He told us in John 15, 5, in fact, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So through faith, God supplies the spirit of Christ. Through the spirit, we produce love. And through love, we fulfill the law. Okay? It all comes from, from him. Therefore, if you belong to him, you will fulfill his law of love because he's going to produce that in you. And part of that is lifting the burdens of others. Now, that is the main point of the passage given in a very general way, which is bear one another's burdens. But in first verse 1, now this is really interesting, and I learned a lot this week from this. <coughs> Paul has given us a specific example, and he says this, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. Now, let me ask a question. What are, what are some examples, when we think about bearing one another's burdens, we asked earlier how to do it, but what are some burdens that, that people carry? Give me some examples of burdens that we might have to bear, help Financial. bear. Financial. Give me another one. Sorrow, grief, Sorrow, grief loss emotional. of a loved one. Emotional. So it's emotional. Sickness. Give, sickness. Somebody's sick. We have to get in there and we have to... So think about... Think about, what, what did we just say? We said financial, we said emotional, maybe it's a loss of a, a loved one. You know, a lot of things going on in somebody's life, we have to get in and help bear their burdens. Maybe they're going through a divorce, they've, they've got a child who's in rebellion, all those kind of things. Now, that's a good answer. So we tend to think of burdens as sickness, unemployment, loss of a loved one, loneliness, rejection, that's all true. By the way, and we tend to think of people who bear these burdens as victims, right? It's, it's like they're not asking for those things, right? I mean, it's something that happened to them. They didn't want it, but it happened to them. It's a burden. Everybody with me? Okay? But Would now... be considered worldly stuff? Worldly? Yeah, things world. yeah, things of life. Problems, yeah. Yeah, just problems of life. But here's what I want you to see. Paul shows us something very interesting in verse 1. And that is that burdens include sins and the victims include those who are committing the sins. So according to Paul, we have to redefine our definition of a burden. Don't miss what he's saying. See, when we read this passage, he doesn't say this is verse 1 and this is verse 2. Sometimes we take those verses and we just take them completely out of context. But this whole passage is about bearing one another's burdens. Is it not? And one of the burdens you bear is when somebody is committing sin, you get in there with them and help them out of that situation. By the way, when we bear someone's burdens, they're going through a divorce, we come in and we, we get under that burden with them to bring them out of it, right? In other words, you don't stay on that burden forever. 
right? Whether it's sickness or loneliness or loss of a loved one, we get in there and bear that burden and walk through that time with them. Paul is saying another example of a burden is when someone is committing a sin, you get in there and you have a part to play to bring them through that, okay? But here's the problem is sometimes we don't see that person as a victim. We see them as a perpetrator. In other words, that person that lost a loved one, they're the victim. That guy that's sinning, he's the criminal, now, and I use that word really loosely. He's the perpetrator. See, according to Paul, we have to kind of redefine our definition of a burden as a Christian. Now listen to this. A burden is anything that threatens to crush the joy of our faith. Whether it's a tragedy that threatens to make us doubt God's goodness or it's a sin that threatens to drag us into guilt and judgment. Okay? Now this is new because it was new for me. I had to think, I had to think through all this kind of stuff. You see, a Christian brother or sister who is sinning needs our help. Okay? That's what Paul's saying. They need your help. Paul says restore them. By the way, that Greek word that's used right there means to mend or make things right. It's the exact word that's used in Matthew when it, to repairing a net. Remember in Matthew 4.21, talking about Jesus, it says, Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with their father, mending their nets. That word mending is the same exact Greek word that Paul uses for restore. So in other words, you can look at a sinning brother as a net with holes in it, and Paul says, get in there and mend it. Get in there and restore them. Get in there and close those holes up. Everybody see that? So he's saying, you know, don't look at them as a perpetrator. So I was talking to, uh, I was talking to Scooter this week, I think my battery's about to go out. I was talking to Scooter this week. Come on, help me out here. Oh, man. <laughs> it's going to be one of those days. I was talking to Scooter this week, and we were talking about a situation that I ran across. And um, so, so here's the situation. And this is me, and this is why I had to rethink all this this week. So I talked earlier, if you, you know, we see somebody going through divorce or loss of a loved one or rejection or financial troubles or those kind of things. And, and we, we see them as a victim, right? I think we'd all agree with that. And so we're more apt to get in there and help them. So a few years ago, um, I, a friend of mine who was a, 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 a member of this church and was doing a real well, a, a man of God, I noticed him starting to drift, okay? And I had a lot of respect for this person. And they, he started to drift and started to drift. And a couple times I thought to myself, you know, I really need to go confront him. I really need to go talk to him about what's going on. But I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because I knew him. And, and, and to me, he was sinning, right? But I, in my mind, I saw him not as a victim of that sin. I saw him as a perpetrator. In other words, he knows what he's doing. He knows the Bible. He knows... But this is what I said in my mind. He knows better than that. So instead of going to him, seeing him as a victim that's being drawn away by Satan and, and putting my arms around him and saying, hey, man, come back over here. Don't you see? I stood back and said, well, he ought to know better than that. Everybody with me? Yeah. And see, that's what Paul's saying. You can't do that. I was wrong. That person, that, that Christian brother or sister that's in sin is just as much a victim 
as this person over here who's got some situation they had no control over. Get in there and help them. Don't stand back. Okay? All right, let me fix this thing here. If I can. Does that make sense to, does that make sense to everybody? It's working. It is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is go. It's going to work here. Just I got three glasses. All right, hold on just one second. I got to. Don't be one of the days. Don't be one of the days. Yeah. And believe it or not, I got to I gotta go get up on stage. All right, hold on. Right, let me find my spot. Yes. You're talking about, um, you know, helping these people. I believe there's just some people you just can't help. And there's and there's probably not. And it's it's because of the choices they make. Yeah. You know, they they know in their minds, they know in their hearts that what they're supposed to do. Yeah. But like you say, they're just drawn. Yeah. And you help and you help and you give and you give and you give. And there's there's and there's no change. There's no change. Yeah. So what do you do with people like that? Yeah, what do you do with the laptop? Well, you know, Scooter, uh, I mean, not Scooter, um, I got a friend of mine, and, and you're right, and, and, and you have to be careful. So there's, there's two things you can do. First of all, so, so many of us, bearing one another's burdens, let's face it, is dirty work. It's nasty. And too many of us say, I'm, I got, this is what we think, I got enough of my own problems, Right? I got to know. Paul says, "Don't do that." He's telling us over and over, "You've got to get in there." This is that's not what Christians do. Christians get in there and help, even when it's going to be dirty and nasty. Now, the problem with that is when you get in there and try to help, what you'll find out if you've ever done that, I'm sure many of you in here have. What you'll find out is some people will literally suck the life out of you. Mm -hmm. They will attach onto you like a leech, and they will suck the life out of you. And so I learned a lesson a while back. So there was a, 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 man, a young man I was mentoring or trying to help or disciple or whatever the case may be. And I would spend time, he'd come over to the house, we'd have lunch. And, and I noticed after a while that we were going around the same mountain over and over and over. He only wanted to talk about his problems and his issues. And, and, and to be honest with you, I realized one day, this, what happened is this young man went down, to the, went down to the altar, professed faith in Christ, and I went up to him and gave him my name and number and said, man, I'd be glad to help, glad to talk to you. And he took me up on that. And so about, for about three months, we met together, talked together, called on the phone, texted back and forth. And I noticed after about three months, like I said, we just kept going around the same mountain. It was all about his issues and his problems and his issues and his problems. And I, and I realized, by the way, after a while, that, that and, and I don't want to shock you by saying this, but that young man never got saved. He never got saved. See, we think, when he walked down the aisle and prayed a prayer, he's saved. Now, he never got saved. Nothing happened in his heart. He was the same young man three months later that he was three months earlier. So I told him one day, I was really honest with him. I said, look, I'm going to tell you the truth because a lot of people in this life won't do it. I said, when I look at your heart, I don't see any change in your desires. Nothing's changed inside. You, you, you're the same guy you were before. And I said, I'm, I said, I'm more than happy to keep talking. I'll talk to you as long as you want to talk. 
But we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about Jesus and we're going to talk about the Word of God. That's all we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about your problems anymore. Because the answer to your problems is not going around those problems over and over. The answer to your problems is right here in this Bible. The answer to your problems is a, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the answers. Well, how long y'all think that lasted? <laughs> no, it didn't last too long. Not too long, I got, a, I got a call from a friend of mine in St. Louis. He said, Derek, I need some advice. He said, I'm, I'm mentoring a young man. Uh, he's got some problems. He's got a lot of anger in him. And he said, I've been mentoring him for about six months. And he said, I'm, I'm frustrated. And my question is, when can I, this was his question. He said, when can I quit? <laughs> when can I give up? And I said, well, you can't. You can't quit. You can't give up. But I said, let me give you a piece of advice. I said, is, and I asked him this. I said, is he one of those that all he wants to talk about is his problems, his anger? He said, that's exactly it. That's all he wants to talk about. And I said, all right, this is what you do. And I said, you tell him you'll meet with him as long as he wants to meet, you want to meet. But I said, you're going to talk about Jesus, and you're going to talk about the Word of God. And that's all you're going to talk about. And I said, trust me, two things, one or two things is going to happen. They're going to come to Jesus, or he's going to run screaming as fast as he can away from Jesus. So you don't quit. See, I, I, I think that's best right. There's some people you get into and you think, I don't think these people can be helped. Some and, people and, and thrive on their burdens. Some people live on the drama, right? They survive. That's fine. That, by the way, that's not our decision to make, but I'm telling you, change the conversation. Change the conversation. Talk about Jesus. Talk about his word. One or two things are going to happen. They're going to come to him or they're going to run away from him. So the, the problem is we, we kind of we foster, we let them do. We let them control the situation. We let them control the conversation. That's what you can't do. So you don't quit. Paul says you get out of there. Now, by the way, Paul here is talking about, a lot of times we're talking about people who aren't saved. You know, yeah, they may go to church late, but a lot of times you just look for the fruit of the Spirit. And you just don't see it. It's just not there. Paul's talking about Christians here. Okay? He's talking about Christians, people that you know are, are brothers and sisters, and you get in there and you bear their burdens. So what Paul wants us to see, that word mend or restore, is that sin is a breakdown in the, in the machinery of our life, and it has to be uh, prepared. Um, our, it's our, we kind of like the mechanic. We get in there and do our, uh, our part. And we just said, if you want to fulfill the law, the law of Christ, this is the attitude you have to have. When you see somebody sinning, you can't do like I did. You have to say, that's my business. He's a friend of mine. She's a friend of mine. That's my business. I have to get in there and, and get in, involved. Um, now, by the way, normally, that's not the attitude in most congregations. Okay? Um, it, there is no doubt, River of Life is no different from any other church. There are attitudes and behaviors and actions going on in River of Life that are so clearly contrary to the word of Christ, they should have been confronted and repaired a long time ago. By the way, that's true in every church. But what, for whatever reason, an, ad, an, ad, an atmosphere of silence and neglect is really what we do. We see something happening, but we don't really confront it. We just sit back. By the way, we may talk about it, right? We, we may talk about it plenty. And you know what they're doing? You hear about what that, you know? But we don't confront it, okay? Now, that's not how it's supposed to work. 
We should cultivate an atmosphere in our churches where we love each other so much that we would, listen, in a family that loves each other, you see your brother or son or sister or daughter or father, you, you get in there, don't you? You should. You should confront it. You don't just let it go because you see it destroying on them. You don't, somebody when you love, you don't want them to be destroyed. That's what the kind of atmosphere we should have um, in, in the church. Now, by the way, only Christ can ultimately forgive and repair. So our job is to what? Point them to Christ. It's like I told that young man, I'm going to talk about Jesus because he's the answer to all your problems. I'm not going to talk about your problems. We don't, we don't, we ad nauseum, we cone over those, right? I'm going to point you to Jesus. So it's not, it's not to get in there. By the way, there's a, that's why Paul says, who does he tell to restore? Those who are more spiritual. Those who are spiritual is what he says. In other words, your job isn't to get in and say, Debbie, I need to fix your life. Now, you need to do it the way I did. That's, that's not your job. It's not the advice you should give. I've told you all this before. I think uh, a friend of mine was a, 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 a member of a, a Calvary Chapel down in Fort Lauderdale. It's like ten or 12,000 people in this church. It's huge. And they had so many people in their church that their pastors couldn't keep up with all the counseling. And so what they did is they took couples in the church and they trained them to be counselors. And, I, and him and his wife were one of the couples that they trained. And I asked him one day, I said, well, you know, I said, that's, you know, counseling someone's kind of a big deal, right? How do you, how do you, what, what do they train you to do? Do you give your own opinion? And he said, no, when they train you to counsel, they, they train you every answer you give comes from the Word of God. You never give an answer that says, this is what I would do, or this is what I think. It's always, this is what the Bible says. Divorce, marriage, financial, lost loved ones, this is what the Bible says. So that's the same thing here. Our job is not to get in and say, this is what I would do. This is the, the, our job is to get in and point them to the Word, point them to Jesus. That's how we, that's how we do this. Um, so that's the main point of the passage. In general, bear each other's burdens. More specifically, take on the trouble of helping people realize their sin and get it repaired. Now, if it seems easier or more palatable to you to help a person bear the burden of sickness or unemployment or loss of a loved one, I want you to think about this. Do you understand that a sinful habit or a sinful attitude or a sinful action is more harmful to that person than those other things could ever be? Do you understand that, that, that sin has more potential of destroying that person than those things ever could? So it's a big deal. That's what Paul wants us to see. Yes, those other things need to be dealt with, but sin is a big deal. Don't do like I did and say, well, that, he knows better. He's smart enough. He should figure that out. No, he was being drawn away and there were people around him that saw it and did nothing about it. We, we, cannot, we can't do that. Therefore, if we really care about a person's ultimate welfare, we will confront them uh, with their sin as well as comfort them um, in their trouble. That's the kind of family of believers that we are called to be. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. Having made that main point, everything else in the passage is a warning to us, if those that are doing it, about the danger of pride. Now, again, I want you to notice this. 
It is not a warning against correcting and admonishing and restoring a person. It's a warning against doing it arrogantly. See, Paul could have easily said, you people are so sinful. You, there's such a potential for pride. Don't do that. Don't get involved in other people's sin. Right? He could have easily said, he did not say that. He didn't say that. He said, do it, but do it the right way. Okay? So again, now, in most churches and among most Christians, wouldn't you say this is the mantra that we kind of live by? Isn't that? Judge not, that you be not judged. Right? That's, you know, when you think about getting involved, you see something going on, the first thing you think, this is the verse that pops into your mind. Judge not, that you be not judged. Sometimes, sometimes we do it to avoid confrontation, and we just use that verse to justify it to be quite honest with you. Um, but see, Paul will not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Paul doesn't say you're all proud and sinful, therefore you don't have any business pointing out anybody else's sin. By the way, have y'all heard stuff like that? You know? And, and by the way, we have a tendency to think that. Well, I'm man, I know how sinful I am. Why would I ever go over there and point theirs out? Well, you got that verse too that says, you know, don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And right. Get it out of your own, right. And, and there's a lot of that stuff, you know, that's all true, by the way. Um, but Paul, watch what Paul says. Paul says, he doesn't say, well, since you got all those problems, don't do it. No, he says, since you struggle with pride, therefore make every effort to humble yourself when you do point out someone else's sin. So he's not saying don't do it. He's just saying doing it the right way. So what he's saying is the dirty, he doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The dirty bathwater of pride has to go but the clean and healthy baby of loving, gentle, humble confrontation must stay. He said, that's right and that's wrong. But don't not do that because you're afraid of this. He said, go ahead and do the right thing, but do it in the uh, right way. Okay? Now, watch what he says. Verse 1 again. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual. Who's supposed to do it? Those who are spiritual. Now, what does he mean by that? Who's spiritual? Okay, those who are walking with the Spirit, who are? Christians. Christians. He, this is not some level, and he's saying everybody above this level can do this, and everybody below it can't do it. That's not what he's saying at all. Those who are spiritual, or those who have the Spirit of Christ, are walking in the Spirit, right? Who are? Just normal, everyday, um, normal, everyday Christians. Again, he means... Those that are led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, those are every single Christian. Okay, So it's not a, a reference to some upper echelon Christianity. If you're sitting here thinking, I don't have to do it because I'm not that spiritual. Well, if you're a Christian, he's the one that uh, you are the one that he's uh, talking about. By the way, notice the link here. Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Gentleness. And Paul says, brethren, if any man is overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in what? Gentleness. See the link there? The fruit, is, the, the spirit produces what you need to restore. Again, it's all, it all goes together. So the spiritual person is one in whom the spirit, again, is producing the very thing you need to confront and uh, restore someone. By the way, judging should be avoided because, can I tell you that judging underlying judging is the spirit of pride. Right? We judge when we have a spirit of pride. Okay? The way to avoid pride 
as you confront a brother or sister about their sin is to act only in the power of the Spirit. And just so you'll know that pride is the real enemy, look at verse 3. Paul says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul says, see, he knows pride will come up, and he knows that's the issue. And basically he said, if you think you're something when you're nothing. Now I want you to understand what he means by this. He wants us to remember, again, apart from the grace of God, we amount to a zero. <laughs> right? Romans 7, 18, Paul said, There dwells in me that is in my flesh, what? Nothing good. John 15, 5, Jesus said, Apart from me you can do nothing. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, Paul says, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. As far as our moral capacities are concerned, we are absolutely zero. Anything good in us, anything good in us, anything spiritual in us, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, faith, self-control, those all come from Him. They don't come from us at all. So finally, Paul says this. Let me get through this real quick. Let each one examine his own work, and then you'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. I want you to understand what he means by Remember, what's the... What's the warning here about? Pride. pride. Okay? What's, that's about pride. See, I think what he's saying here is this. When you measure the value of your own achievements, do not take the works of others as your standard of measurement. You see, we get built up in pride because we look over there and say, well, I'm better than her. I've done more things than she has. I've got more self-control. I'm kinder. I'm more generous. Paul says, examine your own work. In other words, don't examine theirs. Don't measure yourself against, against them. Don't, by the way, don't get puffed up because a, a brother falls lower than you. Let me tell you, pride loves to see people fall when you don't. When you see someone else fall, pride inside of you will say, that didn't happen to me. Right? And by the way, it, it's, per, it's natural. You have to fight that off. It is absolutely natural for that to rise up in us. Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't measure your work uh, against um, uh, someone else's. Um, you are to measure them and test them by your relationship with Christ and what he has done in you. By the way, then whatever you have to boast about will not be owing to someone else's inferiority. So don't measure yourself against someone else. In fact, when you do that, we'll see next week, Paul will say this. Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have that kind of attitude, you'll understand that anything in you that's good, anything in you worth boasting about comes from Christ and Christ himself. Um, let me move on. Look at verse 5. It says... Each one shall bear his own load. I think it means this. Don't ever try... Remember the first verse I said, don't measure your achievements by someone else's. They failed and I didn't. Therefore, I must be better than them. That builds up pride. This one said, kind of goes the opposite way. Don't ever try to lighten the load of your sin by comparing yourself to a failing brother or sister. Yeah, I'm sinful, but I ain't that sinful. <laughs> right? Sometimes we measure our achievements by someone else. Sometimes we measure our sin, how bad it is, by someone else. Now this is, let me tell you, every human being does this. Yeah, I, I you know, I might look at pornography, but I don't cheat. 
right? Now, I might be bad, but I ain't that bad. I'm better than them. Paul says, no, listen, you're going to bear your own load. And what, he, what he's talking about here is judgment. When it comes to judgment, when the final assessment comes, and we are all measured by the law of Christ, no one's going to make your load lighter by being worse than you are. Every person is going to bear your own load in that day. On that day, the plea that we hear so often, uh, things like, I was as good as he was, or I wasn't any worse than she was, let me tell you, that will mean absolutely nothing. There's a, there's a scripture, I don't remember where it is now, it's a parable Jesus tells uh, about, um, and I don't remember what it was, about the man getting to heaven, and it basically says, remember it's the one about uh, the man gets into the wedding, he doesn't have a wedding garment, and when, when somebody questions him about it, he says, absolutely he has no excuse. He says nothing. I think that's what will happen in that day. There will be none of that. I mean, when you stand before him and see who he is versus who you are, nobody will be able to say, well, no. You'll, you'll be completely silent. You will not be able to speak against the majesty that you see in him. So Paul says, don't bolster your pride. Be, again, this whole thing is about pride. Don't bolster your pride by comparing yourself with others. In the end... You're going to bear your own load. Ron. Uh, one thing uh, in my mind that makes this easier to approach is to realize, and you talk around it uh, all throughout, but the effect of the sin, not just the sin. You know, the effect of 